0: Good morning. Welcome to Round Table. Glad you're here.
1: I'm
0: glad to be back, guys. Scott Carter's in the house. Look at here, look at here. I'm telling you, we better get serious this morning. We better get serious. We better
1: get serious. Guys, uh, I'm glad to be back. Jeff mentioned last week I had a little bit of a head cold, a little Um uh, COVID is not going away. I sent the print last
0: week, for quarantine. Uh didn't go into the office, spent most of the week driving equipment and tractors, and the way I like to quarantine. It's great, great week for me. My wife you know, how'd you get cozy when on holidays? And I don't know, but it beats uh only off the for work, that's for sure.
1: Guys, I'm just uh
0: I'm glad to be here, glad you're here.
1: We're finishing up the series uh of Isaiah today. And we'll start a new series for the summer. So let me take this. Opportunity. Encourage you to do something. do you stand
0: up, meet somebody next to you, and find out who they're going to ask next week for the new
1: series. <laughs> All right, we open with prayer. Heavenly Father.
0: Gentlemen. I am excited to be here and I'm excited to be in Starkville tonight. Go big orange. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, I want to offer you a song uh, this morning uh, that I trust will awaken your heart and open us up to what God has for us. It's actually the same song um, that I shared with you last week, but there's um, um different versions of this, uh, by, uh, Ryan Stevenson. And this is a little bit more of an upbeat version, but, uh, what we're talking about this morning, as we finish up our, uh, series in Isaiah and, uh, transformation is trauma, trauma. Um, and so we could say that trauma is being in the middle of the storm, um, and as my wife likes to say in her trauma workshop some people got hit uh, by bicycles some people got hit by trucks and some people got hit by trains but everybody got hit trauma uh by definition a simple definition uh, is any is a real or perceived threat to my life it's when fear enters in um and disrupts our life. And we call that trauma. It's a storm. So I want you to look at the words um, to your song uh, there on the back of your notes. And I just want to read just a, a, a small portion of this. In the eye of the storm, or in the midst of the trauma, you remain in control. And in the middle of the war, you guard my soul. You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm. When the solid ground is falling out from underneath my feet, between the black skies and my red eyes, I can barely see when I realize I've been sold out by my friends and my family. I can feel the rain reminding me in the eye of the storm, you remain in control in the middle of the war. You guard my soul. You alone are the anchor when my cells are torn. Will you hear the voice of God? And may, uh, may he open our hearts.
1: In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. And
2: in the middle of the war, you guard my soul. You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me in the eye of the
0: Amen, amen, amen. The gift of music that awakens our heart. Thank you, God. Be on the alert, stand firm in your faith, act like men, be strong. First, uh, the words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Gentlemen, let's go to work. Um, follow with me as we read our introductory paragraph. The power of relationship to restore and renovate us. Isaiah fifty-eight 12, you'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew. Rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. Restoration of our soul comes when we begin our relationship with God through his son, Jesus restoration of our heart and mind continues because of this secure attached relationship. Because let me just say this, that as I've said to you before, early on in my uh, journey with uh, Jesus, I really believe that the idea of being a Christian being a Jesus follower was to uh, learn as much about Jesus as I could, lead as many people to Jesus um, as I could, and serve others, do good, be good, and stay on track. And in doing that, I was afraid of my brokenness. I was afraid to admit that I was not nearly what people thought I was. I was scared to death that those that I led and stood before would find out just how scared, fearful, and broken I really am. And they would know me. And if they knew me, uh, they would leave. I no longer believe that. Uh, I really believe that, uh, the primary way that God works and shows himself is through my weakness, not my strengths. I'm a pretty gifted guy. You know, I'm humble too. You know, it's amazing. Um, But gentlemen, I've seen God use my brokenness a whole lot more than my giftedness. And I think that's the way he intended it. Because in my weakness, his power is perfected. So much Christian teaching tends to focus on right beliefs and right choices as the key to personal growth. But biblical evidence and modern brain science show that our character is shaped more by whom we love than what we believe. The book of Isaiah will help us see how the promise of salvation would come through the Messiah. But in addition to bringing pardon for sin, intimate relationship with Jesus renovates us wholly, mind, will, and emotion. Mm -hmm. This study is about showing how we can train our brains to relate to God based on a joyful, mutual connection with Jesus, which will lead to emotional, relational, and spiritual maturity. And it is the idea of becoming whole that God intends for us to journey toward Colossians 128 and 29, uh, I labor, um, so that each man that God brings my way, uh, will come to full maturity, completeness, or wholeness. Uh, the words from, uh, the apostle Paul in Colossians, and I, I want to be whole and I want you to be whole. And, uh, Tuesday night, we had, a um, an incredible night at two gun tactical. And, um, the highlight of the evening was Ricky Davis, uh, just sharing his journey, um, and how, um, God brought him, uh, through a physical healing. And a few weeks ago, of course, we did a broken arrow, uh, for Ricky. Uh, and we don't send out broken arrow, uh, just, uh, uh, for general stuff. Broken arrow is a life and death cry, uh, for men, uh, to pray a guy, uh, through danger, it's like, it's time for the, uh, aircraft carrier to release, uh, the bombers and, uh, Ricky, we're grateful for your, for your presence and for your story that keep pointing us to God. Thank you, man. Yes. Recovering from trauma. Whether you're in a situation like uh, Ricky was in a few weeks ago, that's traumatic. Traumatic for Lorraine, uh, Ricky's wife, traumatic for uh, Ricky's family. And we've all been through those times, whether we would uh, call it trauma or not. But as I said earlier, trauma in a simple definition is a real or perceived threat to your life. My life is th- maybe not in a life and death sort of situation, but certainly in a disruptive way, it's gonna rob me of a relationship. It's gonna cost me financially. It's gonna wound me, disable me, um, somehow there's a loss, there's a threat to my feng shui. You move my cheese, I can't find my cheese, that's trauma. So I want you to pick up your pen and let's go to work and I have a few questions for you. I believe in journaling. Um, We want to model that, we want to do a little bit of journaling every time we gather. And that's what this is, um, each Thursday morning, just briefly. So I have three questions for you. Question number one, what are the most hurtful and damaging experiences slash relationships of your life? What comes to your mind? Where have you experienced the most pain, hurt, threat, write it down. Most hurtful, damaging experiences, relationships of your life. What I'd like you to do is turn to your partner and invite you to be vulnerable and open with a partner and just share that and listen to your partner. You might learn something about a guy sitting next to you. So introduce yourself and share that, that which you, um, you don't have to share what you just wrote. Uh, That may be too personal, uh, but share what you will.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we have to the house. for
0: all right gentlemen let's continue let's continue if you didn't get to share i'm sorry we don't uh always uh uh, pair up narcissists with you but you know sometimes somebody does all the talk Gentlemen, this room um, is filled with uh, brokenness, uh, pain, hurt, and heartache. Sometimes we are the wounded. Well, we're always the wounded, and sometimes we are the wounder. And to me, that's where the most pain comes into my life. I mean, I hate it, um, experiencing uh, pain, I don't like that. I don't like my feng shui being disrupted, but it's especially painful when my brokenness wounds another, and unless you're a complete sociopath or narcissist, I think you would agree with me. It's bad enough to feel wounded. It's bad enough to watch wounding happen through you. And yet it happens for all of us. It's true. Both sides of that coin are true for every one of us. So question number two that I would ask you is what did you learn about handling emotions in your family? What was your family code? So write it down. Just a word, phrase, a sentence. Um, What did you learn about handling emotions in your family? And we just call that the family code. Now, question one and question two may seem to some of you, it's like apple and orange. Why are you asking me question two relative to question one? has nothing to do with question one. Oh, yeah, yeah, it do, yeah, it do, big time. Because emotions are like ice. We pack fish in ice to preserve them. An emotion will pack our trauma and keep it alive until we melt the ice. And the way you melt the ice, to use that metaphor, is to begin to unpack the emotions or face the emotions. I wrote a blog um, two weeks ago. You can look at uh, up the blog um, on hardened life resources on this very topic of how you handle emotions. I would commend it to your reading. It's not the best blog ever, but I wrote it. <laughs> um there goes that humility again that's right um but what i'm suggesting in that question um is that um you have the the way that god restores and renovates us is by facing our emotions that's the work that has to be done and yet in my family growing up it's like do not feel Um, Do not communicate feelings. Big boys don't cry, keep moving. And be good, and be good. Um, Wow, that's how I wound up with a hospital bracelet around my arm. Um, Welcome to the mental hospital. I have papers. So question number three. What has most helped you to heal from past hurts? What has helped you? Everybody's been hurt. Everybody has some form of trauma. What would you say has helped you to heal from past hurts? Write that down. Mm I believe that what some of you have written on your paper there in your journal, um, is that deer camp and fish camp have helped you to heal. I'm confident that that's on somebody's paper, at least one, uh, JW, um, this past weekend, uh, we just had the best fish camp ever. Unbelievable. Uh, down in Fairhope and. Uh, we're at, um, Bay Tree, treat sitting out over the water, um, on their pavilion and spent the whole weekend, um, of guys sharing openly and honestly about their lives a year ago, um, uh, John Sullivan, uh, came to fish camp a year ago and he came back, um, uh, this past weekend and, um. He wrote a psalm, a poem, and I asked John if I could share it. Um, um, So with his permission, I want to share with you what John Sullivan wrote. And it's really um, a document uh, recording his journey over the last year. Redeemed on the road to perdition. My searching soul unrequited and incomplete on the road to perdition. My savior, I did meet from my eyes, the veil. He did remove my sinful ways. He did reprove the crushing conviction of the worldly ways of my past, whose promises were empty and whose pleasures never last. Not until I repented and turned around did I see my sweet Jesus lovingly waiting for me. The irresistible grace of the Father's Son into his open arms, I did hastily run. His loving embrace, my sins he erased with the promise of blessings, the curse he replaced. My loving Savior, so faithful and true, oh, how I wish I never walked away from you. Realizing what my sins had cost, I cried over the years that I had lost. In your infinite mercy and boundless grace, you told me the years of the locusts you would replace a promise of beauty for ashes and joy for tears, a promise to restore me in my lost years, your loving kindness so faithful and true of a sweeter love I never knew, a promise of hope like an anchor steady and fast, my heart has found what was lacking at last, a deep intimate spiritual relationship with my Savior, a relationship unto salvation my soul will forever savor. My repentant knees, my new heart now beams, my soul cries out, my Savior redeems. Oh, how sweet victory, how could it be that my merciful Savior would so choose me? Heir to his kingdom, I could never have dreamed, To my God, I cry out, thank God I'm redeemed. Gentlemen, that's as real as it gets. That's scripture. That's a psalm. That's out of the heart um, of a broken man redeemed by God. Um, Ralph was there. Powerful much more powerful to hear johnny read it than to hear me read it but it's been a pleasure to walk with johnny men like him and men, men like you uh, that have been broken that are broken and are willing to share openly of the journey that god takes us through oftentimes to bring him glory and to heal our broken heart Turn over to the book of Isaiah. Book of Isaiah, again, is is this great um, book of the Bible, the masterpiece of the Old Testament to where God continues to say to his people, I'm gonna bring judgment on you. I'm gonna bring it in the form of Assyria and Babylon But in the midst of this judgment, there is hope for salvation. God always makes a way. So, wherever you are in your desolation and destruction, in your shame and in your guilt, that may look like uh, a, a bombed out area of Ukraine right now, that may be your personal life. There is hope. And that's what the book of Isaiah's message is all through it. God keeps saying, "Uh because of your waywardness, there's going to be consequences. There's always consequences. But I have not forsaken you. Just turn back to me. Turn back to me. Turn back to me." In Isaiah 62, as we come toward the end of this um book, is just this beautiful picture of God's intimate pursuit of us. Isaiah 62, follow with me. Regarding Zion, I can't keep my mouth shut. Regarding Jerusalem, I can't hold my tongue. And again, Zion and Jerusalem would be you and me today. God's chosen, um, God's appointed. Um, he, He has said, I want you. Until her righteousness blazes down like the sun and her salvation flames up like a torch, foreign countries will see your righteousness and world leaders, your glory, you'll get a brand new name straight from the mouth of God. Now, if you're a highlighter, if you're an underliner, underline that. You'll get a brand new name straight from the mouth of God. Let me just say this for just a minute. When I'm in a dark place, when I'm in the midst of trauma, when I have failed, uh, or things have happened to me or through me. There is a voice in my head. In psychobabble. babble, we call it the inner critic, your conscience. And man, it beats me up. I look like Jim Carrey in the bathroom and liar liar. What are you doing? I'm beating the crap out of myself, you know. And it's just like it's crazy. I'm beat up. I'm beat up. I beat up. And there are names that I'm calling myself, and that that voice is calling me." Do you experience that? And sometimes those voices aren't from the inside, sometimes those voices from the outside. Your wife, a son, a daughter, a friend will be yelling at you because you're not acting in the way that they thought you should. It's a condemning voice, either inside or outside. And in that context, God comes along and he says, you'll get a brand new name straight from the mouth of God. You'll be a stunning crown in the palm of God's hand, a jewel gold cup held high in the hand of your God. No more will anybody call you rejected and your country will no more be called ruined. Guess when we, when we gather at our men's coaching weekend and guys begin to share the fear in every man that begins to share is that if I share that I'll be rejected. If they, if they knew that, that I've been covering up and hiding, um, they will get up and walk away. And that's exactly what we all feel. We all have the craziness in our head. And, and that's what God's putting his hand on, rejected and ruined. But then here's the promise. This is amazing. You'll be called Hephzibah, my delight, in your land Beulah married. Now, I love that. Hephzibah and Beulah. Hephzibah and Beulah. Hephzibah and Beulah. When I go down 45 rather than 49 to get home to Fairhope, I go to Meridian, take 45 sometimes just for a change of pace, and I go down 45, I go by Hepzibah Baptist Church. I've seen Beulah Baptist Church. Our black brothers and sisters in those little country churches have got it right. They figured it out, and most of us, we don't even know what Hepzibah and Beulah mean. Hepzibah, you're my delight. Beulah, you're married. I will protect you. That's the kind of imagery that God intends for you and I to live out rather than that crazy voice. When Carla and I bought uh, our little cottage in uh, Fairhope 10 years ago, um, I felt led to name our um, home Hepzibah on the back. Uh, we wanted um, to share our home in whatever way we could, whether people come for workshops or spend the night there. We wanted it be, to be a place that they would experience the delight of God. Hepzibah, you're my delight. Isn't that what we say to our children, that we want to say to our children? I always want my girls to hear my voice uh, in their head saying, I love you. I care about you. I never want my girls to hear my voice as the voice of condemnation. Now I've corrected them and I'll speak into their life as needed, but I want the dominant voice to be one of grace and acceptance. And that's what God's voice is in your heart and my heart intended to be. Because God delights in you and your land will be like a wedding celebration. For as a young man married his virgin bride, so your builder marries you. And as a bridegroom is happy in his bride, so your God is happy with you. God is not mad at you. He's not mad at you. He longs for an intimate relationship with you. Gentlemen, walking with God is not being gooder and gooder and gooder and gooder. It's about being in an intimate, loving relationship as if you're the bride and he is the groom and he takes his bride and holds her close. That's the picture. So much so that when we move over to the uh, new testament peter of all people peter you know mr intimacy peter <laughs> dude he gets it he got it now you know he got uh uh hell beat out of him but he comes over to first peter chapter one and into chapter two and he says this listen to this he says you're a chosen race you're a royal priesthood you're a holy nation, you're a cherished possession. Now guys, that's the voice that we need to have in our head. Just like Beulah in Hepzibah, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a cherished possession. What you believe and how you believe who you are will set the course of your life. Who do you believe you are? I believe I'm a cherished possession, a chosen man by God. Do you believe that? It's a game changer. And when we go through trauma, it's really easy to think that God's gone on vacation and he ain't coming back. That's a lie. God will use trauma heartache and headache through us or to us to bring us back to himself so facing trauma facing trauma uh, is a necessary part uh, of this journey of transformation uh, you know again as we've gone through this series uh, the uh, the transformation big picture that I presented to you is threefold one, intimate walk with God. Two, second piece of the puzzle um, is this idea of being a part of community, being a part of church in the way God intended it, not just going and sitting. I mean, guys, I go and sit in tonight. I will sit at, uh, what's it called? Uh, Dudley Noble? Duty. Duty. Excuse me. I stand corrected. Uh, Exactly duty noble. Now guys, I will be sitting in the stands at duty noble tonight. I'm excited about it, but you know, sitting in a baseball stadium does not make me a baseball player. You get it? You know, I go to the movies. I sit in a movie theater, sitting in a movie theater does not make me a movie star and go and sitting in a church does not make you a godly man. You know what makes you a godly man? Is knowing that you've been chosen by God and he wants your heart and he wants an intimate encounter with you. Wow. Really? Yeah. He didn't want you just sitting in the stands, he wants you on the playing field with him. So, um, this idea of facing trauma is so critical. I want to show you a clip of trauma, um, but it turns out good. It's amazing. This was a traumatic event that could have been really, really bad. Now, some of you have seen this and you've all heard about it. I want to introduce you afresh to Darren Harrison. And Darren Harrison um, is the, um, uh, the man that landed the airplane coming out of the Bahamas from a fishing trip. You've, everybody's heard about this. And this could have been tragic. You know, our good friend, uh, Dr. Mike Stoddard, his his situation didn't, didn't turn out this way, but praise God, Mike is alive and he and Angel are living in Fairhope, but they crashed their plane and God protected them, but that was traumatic and they continue uh, to live out recovery from that tragedy, I want you to watch this. I want you to watch what happens, and this is this is a a good picture of how to overcome trauma. Darren Harrison. It is the story that had
3: you asking your friends this week. Did you hear about the guy who landed the plane? When the pilot of a small aircraft flying over South Florida lost consciousness, putting the plane into a nosedive. One of the passengers on board who had no flight experience jumped into action and calmly landed that plane. Now the heroic passenger, Darren Harrison, is telling his
1: story for the first time to Savannah Guthrie in a Today exclusive. NBC's
3: Sam Brock has our Sunday focus from Palm Beach International Airport, where Harrison stopped that breathtaking landing. Sam, good morning really good morning last tuesday darren harrison who was a man who believed strongly in his faith landed the airplane here against all practical odds he had no flying experience as you mentioned his plane went off the radar at the worst possible time now he's speaking out for darren harrison a career in home and business foreign sales arguably should not have prepared him for this okay. Sweet. The pilot flying Harrison and one other passenger back from a fishing trip in the Bahamas experienced a medical emergency and passed out. So the 39-year-old stepped up, helping move the pilot over and grabbing the controls with zero experience flying an aircraft. The burning question, as he speaks exclusively with Savannah, how did this go off without a hitch?
1: Everyone's been amazed at how calm you were. Did you feel calm? I
0: did. Somebody asked me the other day what my heart rate was, or what I thought my heart rate was when all that was going on. And I said, oh, probably in the 90s. And they said, well, what about after it was all over the so rest? It was probably about 160. About the time I stopped my, that's when it hit me. Yeah, that was pretty common and collected the whole time because I knew it was a life or death situation. Either you do what you have to do to control the situation, or you're going to And that's what I did.
3: There's no time to panic. No, No. Harrison says he had no choice. The husband and father-to-be, who's expecting a child with his wife, Brittany, this summer, had everything to live for. And his faith, he says, guided him through an ordeal that could have easily turned fatal. Air traffic controller, Robert Morgan, showing our Kerry Sanders what Harrison had to do just to access the controls. They had to get on the controls and pull back the plane so that it would climb up out of the dive that it was in. Then the plane disappeared from the airport's radar, and 10 seconds later, he said, I'm on the ground, what do you want me to do now? <laughs> Is that correct? Oh my God, I don't break up. <laughs> <laughs> right, so this exact scenario, a pilot becoming incapacitated mid-air. Really- just amazing. And you can hear on the air traffic communication how calm he was throughout that ordeal and stuck the landing. Sam, thank you very much. You can watch Savannah's full exclusive interview mm-hmm. with Darren Harrison tomorrow
0: on Today. Mm. Oh my God. Good job. <laughs> that kind of sums it up, does Guys, um, that's such a picture, I think, of um, of um, God holding uh, Darren Harrison in his hands. Um, I mean, you know, this is an NBC um, interview. Uh, uh, in, in my skeptic mind, I can't help but believe that a lot of what Darren would have shared with us about his faith uh, was possibly cut out. But at least he said, you know, believe in his faith. You know who's, uh, who, who his faith is in? is in the Lord Jesus. I don't have any doubt about that. Guys, this idea of calmly landing the plane, quote unquote, that's what Darren Harrison said, or or, uh, reported as having done, he calmly landed the plane. Now, when you and I are facing trauma, either trauma that we have caused or trauma that has been done to us, through us or to us, I wanna offer you six steps here, just just to begin to process this. They're on your handout. Number one, turn toward your emotions with acceptance. You've got to identify, you know, again, if you keep running away from your feelings, uh, then the ice of your trauma will just stay alive. You've gotta melt the ice and you melt the ice by acknowledging, and that puts you as a man generally behind the eight ball right there. Feeling? I don't know. What do you mean, feeling? What are you feeling? I I feel hungry. Oh, wow. Brilliant. No. Typically, what you and I are dealing with, just to kind of prime the pump there, is anger and anxiety, we'll just leave it at that. you know, through our series, I've I've offered you a number of different ways to identify greater emotions than that, but anger and anxiety, anger and anxiety. I'm angry and I'm really, really anxious. So step number two, once you identify, uh, or, or, or you at least give your emotions a hearing, is step two is to identify and label the emotion. I am angry. I am sad. Hello, my name is Phil, and I'm angry. And all the angry men in the room said, welcome, Phil. Glad you're here. Got it. Step three is accept your emotions. Again, that may seem obvious and mundane, but dude, I'm with a bunch of men and emotions are oftentimes um uh, label is more intrusive than helpful, but emotions are a part of life. They are not red lights. Telling tell you not to do something. And they are not green lights. I believe emotions are more like caution lights. You don't have to, uh, regard the caution light, but if you don't, that logging truck coming out of the East or coming out of the West, will run you over in that intersection. That caution light is there in order to alert you to something going on. Step four is realize the impermanence um, of your emotions. They exist. They're there. Acknowledge them. Work through them. Feel your way. The, The healing is in the feeling. And as long as you disregard them and you won't work with them, you will tend to medicate them. You will be, uh, you will have loss of sleep. Uh, you'll be miserable. You'll be exhausted. What I hear oftentimes from men who are not dealing with their emotions is I am so tired. I'm tired. That's code for I'm depressed and I'm emotionally constipated. Step five, inquire and investigate. Set anger in a chair and talk to the anger. Set anxiety in a chair and talk to the chair. This book on anxiety, I would highly recommend it to you. Ron and I and several others are are using this a lot. It's a simple 60-page book. So I mean, you know, there's obviously volumes that could be written on anxiety, but if, if you struggle with anxiety, I would strongly recommend Dr. John Deloney's book, Redefining Anxiety. Uh, he worked with um, um, uh, what's the financial guru uh, in Nashville? Um, Dave yeah, Dave Ramsey. Ramsey. He worked with the Dave Ramsey organization for a number of years, um, and he wrote a 60 pages on anxiety. Really simple. Uh, I'll read the uh, just uh, two sentences in terms of dealing with anxiety that he says. Quote you need other people. Connection heals anxiety. Guys, we have said that over and over at our men's coaching weekend, part of the reason that you're anxious is that you're um, disregarding working it through in relationship. So finally, step six, let go of the need to control your emotions. In In other words, stop shutting them down, but express them and most men that I talk to that that are trying to capture this paradigm that that we offer in terms of really beginning to express your emotions is the fear that if I ever get started expressing my emotions, it'll be like a tsunami. It'll scare everybody in the room away, and I understand, and that may uh, be the uh, be true. So that's why you uh, where you uh, may need professional help need a safe place. Just don't go home and flood the house with your emotions. It it may be too much, but guys, what I'm saying to you this morning is that the only problem that God cannot deal with and will not deal with is the one that you won't face. As long as you hold it and you make yourself God and you're in control, then you will die in that self-imposed hell. It's like open up your hand, receive uh, God's gift, uh, allow him to call you Beulah, I'm married to you, and Hephzibah, I delight in you. Welcome home. Father, thank you for the beauty of your word Thank you for pursuing us when we don't know how uh, to receive from you. Thank you for your relentless grace that awakens us to your desire to have relationship with us. We love you. Thank you for our time in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.